going to come and preach this morning. Uh, some of you are very familiar with him because uh, you see him at least once a week as you drop off and pick up uh, your young adults. But uh, we have the pleasure of serving together in so many different ways, and I'm grateful for him being here. I was actually thinking, Mike, as the kids were singing, it was very good for me to have you preach after the kids because there's no way to measure up. So come on, brother. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thanks, brother. I was thinking exactly the same thing. I'm like, that's so sweet and cute, and, but I'm going to use it. Because that last song had Look Who Just Checked In, which happens to be what we're talking about today, looking, uh, what we're looking for. Um, but I thought I would open up with a fun story, because I was asking the Lord, have I ever missed something that was so important? And so I had to go all the way back 20 years. And here I was, it's 20 years ago, Tiffany and I are newly married, um, she's eight and a half months pregnant, we're both working, you know, that's what you do when you're a young couple and, you know, both working jobs, and, and so she's coming from one direction, I'm coming to another, and we need to meet at the doctor's office. This is, uh, this is the pediatric check, uh, you know, it's just the pedi- pediatrician we want to have for our, our child. And so it's Michael, right, my 20-year-old, but he's much smaller then. And I'm coming from one direction, she's coming from the other direction. It's 5 o'clock, we're in traffic, we're in South Orange County. I'm coming down El Toro, I came around the big long way, and I'm looking at my clock, and I'm like, I'm running late, I'm running late, I'm running late, because my wife is always on time, or she, she used to be on time, and now, well, we'll blame the children. So here I am, and I'm rushing to get from point A to point B, and out of the corner of my eye, I, I notice a lady walking on the street, and she's not walking good. She looks uncomfortable. And I'm like, yeah, it just caught my eye. And as I passed her, I looked, and I go, oh, she's pregnant. And I go, man, that stinks. And as I kept driving, all of a sudden the Lord said, hey, I think that's your wife. And I went, <laughs> and I, I look back and I go, it is my wife who's walking down the sidewalk like this about a mile away from the doctor's office. So I, I crank a U-turn, go back up the street, crank another U-turn, and I pull up, and I'm like, hey, hot stuff. <laughs> well, she's eight and a half months pregnant. It's coming into July. It's toasty outside, and the car got a flat tire. This is for those who go, why didn't she just call? We didn't have cell phones. You know, that was just coming in, and that was a luxury we didn't need. But I found myself thinking, man, I almost missed the person I was meeting because I was so busy getting from point A to point B, I didn't see the person coming. And today when we look at this passage in Scripture in Luke 2, we're going to see someone who didn't almost miss this important event. In fact, he was looking for it, waiting for it to happen so it didn't catch him off guard. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Um, If you're using one of the Bibles in the pew, uh, it's page 1021. That's awesome. All right, verse 21 begins, When eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. 
And so we pause there just to go, what, what purification are they talking about? And it was just simple um, law that after a woman would have a child, she would wait 40 days before she went to church. And so they're waiting for that purification cycle. And then here comes the circumcision eight days into that. And so roughly 40 days later, here they come walking into the temple. So let's continue in verse 25. And it says, And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms. And he blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Verse 33 says, And his father and his mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts would be revealed. And as we look at this passage, I found myself focusing on about five things. And I know there's way more than five things in this passage. But I thought we would take a look at just the opening part that we see that Simeon was righteous. Simeon was devout. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. And he was looking. Looking for the consolation of Israel. And when we start looking at those individually, we're always looking for application. And so we'll take each one of those, take a quick look, and then we'll look at what it means for us and how how can we apply this to our lives. The first thing that jumps off the page is that Simeon was righteous. Now we know that Abraham was righteous. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and Simeon followed in the same footsteps. He had a saving faith, which declared him righteous. He believed God and he followed the law. He wasn't a perfect person. But perfection is not what gets us righteousness or makes us righteous it's always been our faith the second part is that he was devout he didn't just have a spoken faith he didn't just talk on Sundays and do what he want Monday through Saturdays or I would probably say talk on Saturdays and do whatever he wants on the other days people knew him by the way he lived his life the key word that they use there is devout and so when we kind of wrestle through some of those definitions it comes up with a couple things it means he was cautious I think that's huge. We're looking at a man whose faith, when described, was cautious because it means he's paying attention to every step of every day. He was sincere. He was pious. He had a loyal reverence for God. He was God-fearing, and everybody knew it by the life that he lived. The word devout to us, I only hear it when it's a devout sports fan. And you go... What do you picture in your head when you hear of a devout sports fan? I always picture the Raiders, and I picture the face paint and everything. They're like, wow, this is what they live for. This is what they die for. This is what all their conversations are. But the small difference between that devout and this devout 
they take off their costumes and they go to work on Monday. Not Simeon. He remained devout through the whole week. Next, we see that Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit. And at that time, prior to the death and resurrection of Christ, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for a certain person. It would reveal knowledge. It would reveal a prophetic message. It would encourage them. It wouldn't leave, or it, and then it would leave them. We see that it came upon Joshua. It came upon David. It came upon the prophets. It came upon uh, the judges. And we see that the Spirit coming upon various judges when God raised, who raised up to help defeat their oppressors. And always in the Old Testament, came upon for a specific time and then left. Here it's told that the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Christ Messiah. So we know, by putting all these pieces together, that Simeon was old. He was old. And he was ready. But he's waiting to see what God said. Pay attention. Keep looking. He was not only filled with the Holy Spirit, but he was led by the Holy Spirit. We see in our passage that the Spirit, that he came in the Spirit into the temple, which means he was under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit was doing the leading as he was carried along. We see something similar in the book of Acts. You just bounce. I can almost read that. In the book of Acts, we take a quick glimpse at Philip, filled with the Holy Spirit, going where the Spirit led. Let me read it. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go. South to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And Philip ran up. And heard the reading of Isaiah the prophet. And said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I? Unless someone guides me and invites me. Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And Philip began, starting in the book of Isaiah, which is what he was wrestling with, began to explain the gospel, the good news, who the lamb was. He explained who the Messiah was, the Christ. And the man received Christ. And we see that all of this is because the Spirit was leading and because Philip was walking in obedience to that. So too, Simeon was led by the Spirit into the temple where he was looking for the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel. And if you've spent any time in the New Testament and you've seen the dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees, you can imagine what a church service was like under the Pharisees. It was oppressive, and they needed to be set free. And this is who Simeon is looking for, which is our fifth point. Not only was Simeon filled by the Spirit and led by the Spirit, he was looking, specifically looking for the Christ. And what was his response? Great joy. There's this picture. I was sharing this with my wife. My wife goes, there is this picture they show all the time at CBS on Thursday. And it's this picture of Simeon embracing the Christ, actually holding salvation in his hands. And it wasn't just for his personal salvation. In fact, let's read it at the end of 2.29. It says, Simeon says, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace 
according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He did not just see the Messiah for the Jews, for the Israelites. He saw the big plan. He saw that it was going to impact not only the Israelites, but the Gentiles, you and I. And he was like, Lord, I am ready to go. He's waited his whole life to see what was this going to look like. And he didn't just see it. He beheld it and held it and said, Lord, I'm ready to go. That's the kind of joy that results when we are filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and looking at what God wants us to see. So I was wondering how much of this is a, is a given for us as believers. We look at five things and we go, are all these given for us as believers? Well, we have righteous. We open up and we look at Simeon and we say, okay, he was righteous. Can I be righteous? Thank goodness it doesn't depend upon my eloquence, but it depends upon the word of God that tells us what righteous is. And so we look to Romans 4, 3, and 5. God's word says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. Verse 5, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Praise God for his word. That it's not a matter of how high I can climb or how good I can perform But it's, can I receive this? Righteousness from God. Credited to me in the same way it was credited to Simeon. But we also see in Philippians 3, 7, and 9. But whatever things were gained to me, this is Paul speaking. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. God imputes righteousness to us because of our faith in his son. He gives us what his son has simply by saying, you are my Lord, simply by acknowledging my depravity apart from him, simply by saying, Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Take me. I'm yours. And what do I get in return? I get a relationship with the God of this world that his son had with God the Father. And he sees me as righteous. And he sees you as righteous if you've put your faith in Christ. But what about devout? This is where it gets tricky. This is where you go, what, how devout do you have to be? How crazy of a sports fan do you have to be? Does your life reflect your identity in Christ? Does it reflect your sincere faith? Does your reverence, do you walk in a holy reverence towards God daily? Or do you take it off when it's not convenient? Thinking back to those fanatical sports fans, you know Monday morning at work, they're not wearing the face paint. They may still be wearing the jersey, but it's time to get back to work, and they slip back into that role. Do we do that with our faith, or do we remain devout Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so that everybody knows, I wear it on my sleeve, I'm a bondservant bought with a price. What you see is not my goodness, 
See, a bondservant of Christ is quick to deflect and go, if you see good, it's him that you see. When you see bad, that's me. But anything good that you see is Christ in me. That's the devout life that we've been called to live. So it's not a given right, but it is a reminder that we're to pick up our cross on a daily basis. And as we do that daily, people are watching. Just as they could quickly point out that Simeon was righteous and devout, they will look at us and go, there's something different. Why don't you behave? Why don't you respond differently in turmoil? Because my God is sovereign. We also notice that Simeon was filled with the Spirit. And this is so awesome. The things that have changed since the resurrection of Christ, that we no longer temporarily have the Spirit fall upon us, the Spirit indwells us. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? It's that tabernacling. I am the church. I'm part of the church. And wherever I go, the Holy Spirit comes with me because he indwells me. You have people that won't step a foot in a building that we call a church, but you are the church when you go to them. We can't forget that. The Spirit indwells us. It goes even further in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. It says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, the praise of his glory. Another translation says, I was given the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing my inheritance. Unshakable if I stay in God's word. But how quickly throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month do I forget and I think I am hidden from God. God doesn't see what's happening. And the only reason we think that is because we're not listening to the word, we're listening to the world. And we begin to think that it's a performance religion, that God is close to me if I perform well. That's not what that passage tells me. It tells me that I'm indwelled by the Holy Spirit, which is a deposit. That's where we fall, all because of our faith, trusting in what Christ has done. So we see that Simeon was righteous, he was devout, he was filled. Are we led by the Spirit? Now this is where it actually goes a little bit harder because none of us are perfect people, though we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we fall constantly. Thank goodness for 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's not a walk of perfection, it's a walk that is constantly being led by God's will, his plan, his purpose for us. When the Spirit says go, or the Spirit says no, how do you respond? When you want to do something so bad, and the Lord says, whoa. As my little two-year-old would say, simmer down. Simmer down. <laughs> it's awesome when you get corrected by a two-year-old. <laughs> first, let, first, first Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the spirit. The idea of quenching is putting out a fire. And the idea there is that the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit leads and moves, it's like a fire that starts. And the question is, is will I let it consume me so that the world sees all of him, or do I put it out? Do I grab the fire extinguisher and spray it out? When I have the neighbors, the coworkers, my family, my spouse push buttons, and the natural man's response is to set them straight and crush them. 
One of the mighty gifts I have is articulation. I know how to crush people. It's a horrible gift. It's one of those things that it comes so easy just to thrash people. So in those heated moments where your buttons are pushed and the Lord says, you promise to love your wife with all the fullness of Christ. And I don't want to. It quenches the Holy Spirit. That fire that should consume me and take over my life. You know, I think Third Day sings a song. Um, oh, what is that? That doesn't matter. There's a verse from one of Third Day song that says, Until I am a soul on fire, Lord, I'm running to your arms. I want that. Everyone who sees me sees that I am a soul on fire because I'm consumed by the Holy Spirit. But too often, I put the fire extinguisher out because I'm tired. Bad timing. I had other plans. I was going somewhere else. And instead of going with what the Spirit is doing, I spray it out. Which leaves us in a life that is joyless as a believer. A life that we weren't called to live. The Scripture tells us there are people that are going to trip into the kingdom of God. They're going to come in exhausted. Because they weren't walking and living in the Spirit. What a horrible life. Not as bad as it can be. But God has called you to live victoriously and joyfully, and that happens when we, lead to, when we yield to the Holy Spirit. We all know what, it's, what we're capable of doing apart from the Lord. We all know how wicked we can get when the Lord allows, to see, allows us to see our own sinfulness, and it makes us embrace the Holy Spirit more. We were ministering to some homeless, uh, homeless families about a year ago with our uh, middle school youth group. And we're out over by the uh, Santa Ana River jetties. And we're walking. And I'm like, Lord, I've never done this before. <laughs> I'm like, okay, but the Lord's opened the door, so here we go, kids. And I, I've, walked, I've walked the facility. I've talked to some homeless people. But I can tell you and anyone that was with us that day, I have never gone behind the bushes looking for homeless people. I've normally just thought, stay safe, stay on the road, let them come to you, engagement conversations. But as soon as I go back there, but I felt the Lord say, go find them. They're here. Because when we first got there, we couldn't find them. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't going to be a very good outreach event. But sooner or later, God started unveiling one, two, three, four, five. And we started finding these homeless people. And we would minister to them. We would share the gospel. We would provide food for them. We would pray for them. And this one gentleman was so overwhelmed with emotion, so thankful that kids would come out on a Saturday and be thinking of him. That kids would prepare love, food, hand it all off. And I felt the Lord say, hug that guy. And I'm like, <laughs> my wife knows I'm a very queasy fella. <laughs> and, this, and the smells with this particular person were overwhelming. The looks were like, the looks were, ooh, he was in a tough place. You can tell that he hadn't bathed in months, the look on his face. And so my flesh said, shake his hand. The Lord said, you hug him like he's one of yours. So I step outside and I go, okay, Lord. And I hug this guy and I squeeze him. And he responds. I hug him like a dad, he hugged me like a kid. And here are two grown men hugging on the side of a bike path. And I grabbed him by the back of the head and I leaned into his ear and I said, God has not forgotten you. He knows right where you are. That is the joy and the holiness of yielding to the Holy Spirit. 
I wasn't hugging him. The Lord was hugging him. I was just an instrument in his hands. That's what happens when we start being led by the Holy Spirit and looking where he wants us to look. Jesus gives us a little bit more description, and it's an obvious one. This isn't one of those sermons that you're like, this is one of those sermons that you go, yeah, I need to be reminded, because I needed to be reminded. Matthew 9.35, Jesus gives us a direction to look. And Jesus went through all the cities and the villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Where does God want you to look? People. Who are the most overlooked things in in our life? People. Because we're trying to get from point A to point B. We have a ministry event to go to. We have a spouse we have to meet over here. And we don't have time for people. It's the most ironic thing. God's called us as he is working in people. Our job is to keep looking. And as we are filled with the Spirit through faith, and as we are led by the Spirit in obedience, God gently turns our head so that we can see the people that he's working in. Because it's not a matter of our eloquence. It's not a matter of how polished I am. And if I just say this, this person will be saved. That's not what it's about. What it's about is to recognize where God is working and move. Find where God is working in someone's heart where the questions are coming and you step in like Philip. In fact, you run like Philip. When God turns your head and shows you where he's working in someone, whether it's a family member, whether it's something that happened at Thanksgiving or might happen at December, or whether it's a coworker or a neighbor, when God turns your head and says, that's the one, our response should be run. It shouldn't be, let me pray about it. It shouldn't be tomorrow. It should be right then. We can learn that from Philip. He could have sat there on the road and go, ooh, that guy's wealthy. He's in a chariot. I don't think so. Someone else, you know, wouldn't. No, he ran is what the scripture said. But too many times we keep thinking someone else will step in. You are that someone else. When God's turned your head and showed you where he's working, you are the one to be used by God. And thank goodness, again, we don't depend on our eloquence. We depend on the leading of the Spirit. And the greatest thing, Philip didn't come in and kick down the door and shove a gospel down his throat. He heard what he was saying and responded. And that's our job is to hear where these people are at, hear what God is doing, and the Lord will give you the wisdom necessary to share. But you say, I don't know your family member. right? I don't know your in-law. I don't know that neighbor. I don't know that coworker. I would agree. But I have seen the hardest of hard hearts turned, and it's awesome. Where you go, Lord, I wouldn't have paid attention to that person. I wouldn't have given that person a moment of my time. So last year, I'm wrapping up on our Thursday night middle school group, and I get a text message from one of our leaders, Jen. Text messaged me and says, hey, watch our bit. She goes, heads up, Uh, there's a guy looking for you coming up behind you. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. It's 9.45 at night, and it's just me at the church. And I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
How am I going to help this guy? So this gentleman approaches me, and he is one of the toughest guys I have ever seen. Um, he has a look of frustration and hate. He looks agitated, but he's in, he's in need. And I, I asked him, what can I do? How can I help you? And he goes, I just need a place to crash. He goes, I'm trying to get away from some gangs. He's coming from Santa Ana. And he goes, if you can just give me a place to crash, that would be great. I said, no problem. So we went and got him sleeping bags, some food, some water. Got him all nuzzled up over here. And I said, hey, tomorrow morning when you wake up, come see me. And let's talk. Let's talk about where you're, where you're going. And he said, I don't know, man. He goes, people are watching me. He was, he was very high on conspiracy. He thought, actually, that we had planted cameras and microphones all over the church and that the police were watching them. That, that's the, when we talk about harassed and helpless, it was spinning so out of control that he literally thought there was a microphone underneath his sleeping bag and that I was working with the police. That's how oppressed this person was. I didn't know how, uh, how violent his past was until I started talking with him the next morning. He had just spent 20 years in prison. He was rough. He was a violent offender. Um, I had Ed. Ed did some background checks and did some talking with him. Um, but I said, hey, as we were talking, he wanted a new direction. And I said, hey, let's go grab some food. Food is a great icebreaker when you're talking to people. So I take him over to Panda, and I'm sitting there. As I listen to him, I keep looking at his eyes, and I'm like, Lord, he's going to hit me. I, I'm sitting there going, I, am I sitting right on the chair just in case he swings? That's, that's the hostility that was coming out. And so my flesh wanted to step away. You know what the Lord said? Share the gospel. I'm like, yeah, but this guy's tough. <laughs> this guy could punch me. He looks agitated. And the Lord said, share. So I began to share about this person, Jesus. I began to share about the life, the death, the sacrifice, the resurrection, the hope that we have, the forgiveness of sins, the purpose, and the joy. And this tough guy looked at me and he goes, you know, you're the second person to tell me that story this week. And I said, don't you see that God is pursuing you? Can't you see that? Do you think it's a coincidence that God put that person in your life and then me? And he goes, I hear it. I just don't know if I can believe it. I prayed for him, sent him on his way. He came back a couple days later, met with Ed. Ed took care of him. Ed shared the gospel with him. But he didn't respond. Ed, Ed got him into some housing, got him some temporary housing. And then he heard the gospel for the fourth time. And we got a letter about a month later. About a month later, a letter was sent to our church, stuffed into the window of the church. And he says, I heard the gospel again. And I gave my heart to this Jesus. And I am a believer and the language that he wrote was not in context with the language that I spoke to him as a hostile person. His language was, um, it was harsh. When you read this letter, Ed and I looked at it and we were just in awe of what the Lord could do. Reminded once again, it's not our eloquence, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And our job is to see the people that God is working in and give the gospel yeah, there are times they respond and we get to pray with them and usher them into the kingdom as one of, one of the kids. 
And there are times that we throw the seed out and we love and we go, Lord, I hope. I hope that what I'm seeing is that you're working here. So he responds with his letter. Here's the crazy thing. After he got saved, he got arrested. And he's in jail. And he writes a letter to Ed. He says, I want this to be my home church. You know, I thank you and you and thank you for the food. Thank you. But he goes, I don't want to be by myself in this jail. I want to represent Christ here. And so a man that came so lost, so confused, so hostile, God is placed in the, in the jail system. And administered to him, sends him letters, one-on-one discipleship. Why? Because we were looking at people, and we were looking at where God was moving. And our joy, let me see if it comes up. That was Ed and I. It's a laughter because you just throw your hands up and you go, Lord, I can't judge a book by the cover. I can't figure out people. I'm just going to do what you're telling me to do. What God has called us to do is to be led by his spirit. If you have put your faith in Christ, you have what you need. The Bible tells us you have everything you need for life and godliness. I have the Holy Spirit. Why do I keep extinguishing what the Lord wants to do? Why do I keep stopping the Holy Spirit from bringing glory to God because I keep extinguishing? I don't want to carry an extinguisher with me. I want to be the one that throws more kindling on that thing and says, Lord, more of you, less of me. But that is a hard thing because these chance, in, uh, in, uh, these chance encounters always happen when you're not ready. It doesn't come when you're rested. It comes at the end of the night at 9.45 when you've had a long day and you're ready to go home. And in that weakness, you go, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to say? And the victory in this life that's been given to this, this joy that we can have is as we are led, we begin to ask the Lord, what do you want me to see in this? And what would you have me to do? What would you have me to say? And then be like Philip and go. But too many times we rest upon our own strength. That leaves us. And we put out what the Holy Spirit's doing. And you go to bed with a little bit of regret. And you go, oh Lord, send someone else. And the Lord says, I sent you. Let me close us uh, with some prayer. Because I want you to experience the joy from simply saying, Lord, what do you want me to see? Where are you working? God, where are you working here? And what do you want me to do? Because that joy that Simeon beheld as he held on to the physical Christ, he saw the future. He saw the impact on the Gentiles and on the Israelites. And we too have been impacted, but that joy is not just for us. There are future brothers and sisters in Christ that are out there today that God says, just keep walking where I'm telling you to walk and you're going to come across them and I'm going to use you in a mighty way. Just be my instrument. Be looking and be asking, Lord, what do you want me to see as I live today? So you can experience the joy and they can experience that joy and we can enter the kingdom like this laughing because we have received the joy of our salvation. Let me pray. 
Father, it's a holy thing when you move. It's an incredible thing when you turn our heads. But too many times, Father, our necks are are stiff and we're busy. Sometimes we're busy doing work for you, we think. When really, Lord, we're missing the whole point to that day, which was to see that person on the side, to see that neighbor, to see that family member, and to love them with the gospel in word and in deed. Father, we want to experience this kind of joy. Yes, we've received you. We've received your Holy Spirit. But Lord, it goes another notch when I see a new brother and sister in Christ adopted into the kingdom. Lord, help us to walk in obedience this week. Help us to be led by your Spirit. Help us to see where you're working. And help us to be quick to run up. We ask these things in your son's precious name. Amen.